Hydroelectric dams have environmental challenges. Hydro dams aren't always low carbon, and there are other problems as well. Welcome to the Future is Electric, a techno-optimistic podcast associated with the medium publication of the same name. We explore the future with a recurring focus on climate change, technologies which are transforming our world, and a side helping of politics and culture. I'm your host, Michael Bernard, Chief Strategist of TFIE. For many, hydroelectric dams seem as if they should be environmentally benign, delivering large quantities of carbon-free electricity. The water is renewable, there are no fossil fuels involved, and you end up with lovely lakes. But dams have a dark side, and siting is important. Tropical dams, especially in rainforest areas such as the Amazon, are heavy emitters of greenhouse gases, reaching parity only around the 60-year mark. This is due to anaerobic decomposition of the trees, underbrush, and soil biomass that are submerged. That anaerobic decomposition emits not only carbon dioxide, but also methane, which is a much more intense greenhouse gas. More northern dams typically have much lower life cycle carbon emissions, as they're in areas with much less biomass. This means dams such as Quebec's James Bay Dam, the Manitoba Kiask Project, and Norway's dams, which it wants to retrofit with new generators suitable for making it a battery for Europe, are all much more carbon neutral than dams in the Amazon. Net-net, more major dams in the tropics is a pretty bad idea compared to solar, but still a much better idea than more coal generation. There are other challenges with hydroelectric power. First up is fish spawning. Dams block it. And solutions don't work very well. This has led to significant changes, almost entirely negative, to fish populations where dams were heavily built. For example, the United States has about 75,000 dams, according to the United States Army Corps of Engineers, National Inventory of Dams. A large percentage of these are in rivers which flow into the coasts, into the oceans, off of either coast. And according to research, fish ladders and other mechanisms just aren't that effective. What what has been done to deal with this situation is quite astonishing. We're spending a remarkable amount of money to grow fish and introduce them annually into rivers and reservoirs because we prevented natural fish runs. And there are numerous environmental impacts of fish stocking followed as well. That said, there are economic benefits too. However, the fish stocking and damming problem is only the tip of the iceberg. Let's consider the ocean's salmon spawning fed ecosystem of Pacific Northwest rivers. On on free-run rivers, where salmon spawning is still possible, salmon are a major source of fresh nutrients to the ecosystem. I'll quote a study. These streams, some of which are no longer than a kilometer or two help form a vital corridor for the annual influx of nutrients to coastal watersheds via the return of spawning salmon. Predators line stream banks to access this protein source, a food supply that might not otherwise be available on small islands or other fragmented habitats. Bears and wolves carry salmon carcasses away from the stream and deliver nutrients to the forest floor. These nutrients enrich the surrounding landscapes, allowing it to support higher levels of diversity which in turn increases the resilience of the ecosystem. As spawning density increases, so does the penetration of marine-derived nitrogen into the watershed, 
which translates into greater diversity and growth rate of plants, greater diversity and density of insects, and greater diversity and density of birds. Dams block off a huge flow of nutrients of incredible importance to the entire fractal ecosystem, affecting everything from plants to apex predators. This is a large reason for the U.S. dam decommissioning grassroots movement. Next up, in terms of challenges, is silting, both in the reservoir and downstream from dams. Rivers provide a constant source of rich, fertile silt to downstream ecosystems. When a river is dammed, that silt stops at the dam. This has three consequences. The first is the dam reservoir typically starts filling up with silt, reducing the generation or irrigation capacity it was built to create. Dredging dam reservoirs is expensive, so they are often just allowed to fill up over their lifespans, becoming less and less effective. Second, dam reservoirs become anaerobic, oxygen-free zones with no life. For recreation, angling, and aesthetic purposes, however, many dams have fertilizers dumped into them on a regular basis to promote plant growth, which forms the basis of the ecosystem, and then are stocked by bred fish. You can see this, for example, in Seminar in BC when taking the ferry. What appears to be a tanker truck is often on the ferry dumping slurry into the water. It looks remarkably vile, but it's a necessary step for a living reservoir because the river has been dammed. The third problem is downstream. The silt that had been providing a source of nutrient disappears, and the impact on the downstream ecosystems is often remarkable. River deltas have been a traditionally rich agricultural environment, but with the primary source of fresh nutrients limited, instead farms there have to fertilize heavily, with secondary ecological impacts. Finally, there is the problem of mercury buildup. Mercury is a nasty bioaccumulator which attacks most of the major systems in the human body if encountered in high enough concentrations, and dams cause buildups of it, which enters the flesh of fish and shellfish, and then the flesh of the animals which feed upon them, and then humans eat the fish, shellfish, and frequently the animals. Quoting a study, the best research case of reservoir methylmercury is at La Grande Hydro Complex in Quebec, part of the huge James Bay project. Ten years after the La Grande II reservoir was first impounded, mercury levels in pike and another predatory fish called walleye had risen to six times their pre-reservoir level and showed no signs of leveling off. As fish are a major part of the traditional diet of the local Cree native people, mercury levels in their bodies have risen dangerously. By 1984, six years after La Grande II dam was completed, 64% of the Cree living on La Grande estuary had blood mercury levels far exceeding the World Health Organization tolerance limit. That said, coal plants are the single largest source of mercury pollution. So once again, better hydroelectric than coal. Dams are a mixed blessing. Large amounts of dependable electricity, barring major droughts such as those affecting the southwestern United States, relatively low carbon electricity compared to coal generation, especially in northern climes, but remarkably high and expensive impacts on fish spawning and related ecosystems, agriculture, and river ecosystems. And then there's that mercury problem. If it were the if the choice were only between hydroelectric and coal generation, there would be no question. However, wind and solar farms have much lower impacts and are much quicker and cheaper to build. Dams in northern climes would be very useful as passive backup for wind and heavy so- solar heavy grids, and long distance transmission and power markets 
will bring their low carbon electricity to where it is needed. You have been listening to The Future is Electric, a techno-optimistic view of climate change, transformative technologies, politics, and culture. I'm your host, Michael Bernard, Chief Strategist of TFIE. These podcasts are available from the medium publication of the same name, Anchor FM, and other podcast sites. Let us know that you are enjoying us via Claps and Medium, and tell us what you'd like us to cover next.